This morning, I'm going to share a message with you entitled Spirit Falling. Uh, Spirit Falling. It's part of our ACT series. We've been doing this series since we started Anchor Church the last two months. Uh, we're a church that's just over two months old, I think nine weeks right now. And, uh, and we've been looking at the book of Acts, and it's been incredibly encouraging going through the book of Acts and seeing how God worked seeing what God did, seeing His heart being displayed to a broken world through the people that He chose, through the people that He redeemed, through people that were, were not perfect people, they were broken people, but by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, they were able to do incredible things. Last week, we ended up in, in uh, Acts chapter number 8, the beginning of Acts 8, which shows how a great persecution arose against the church uh, in the beginning when Stephen was stoned. So Stephen was put to death for his faith, and at that time, there was a great persecution that arose against the church, and the Bible says that the church scattered as a result. And last week, we spoke about how that is God's process. He allows sometimes for some persecution to come, for some hardship to come, for some, uh, some stuff that we face, but the reason is, is because God is doing something in our lives. He's preparing us. He's softening our hearts. He's making us compassionate, and He is scattering us. He, the same comfort that we receive in our times of hardship is the same way in which we're going to be able to comfort others also. It's a miracle of God's grace that He softens us so that we can love others truly and purely and, and help people who, who are in need. And we see here in Acts chapter number 8 and verse 4 that, uh, that some of those who went scattering, one of them was called Philip. So let's go, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter number 8. And verse 4, we're going to read uh, 4 to 7, and then 12, and then 15 to 17. I'm just cutting out a few bits there, but I want to just show you something here in Acts chapter number 8 um, this morning. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. It says in Acts chapter number 8 and verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ, the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city when they believed Philip as he preached the good, uh, good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I then just want to go to John chapter number 20 and uh, look at another scripture this morning from John 20, uh, just after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but not all of the disciples had seen him yet. Not all of them had come into contact with him yet, uh, specifically Thomas. And it says here in, in John 20 verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I've met so many people who are like that. We say, no, Jesus is alive. No, really, he's alive. He's, he, he's been raised from the dead. We experience him today. We felt him in worship. And they're like, no, unless I actually take my hand and place it in his side and, and, and put it in the, the holes in his hands where he was crucified, I won't believe. I need to, to experience, I need to see uh, in order to believe. It says in verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And that's just such an entrance. I just, I just have to pause there and say that for a moment. That is a great entrance. When the doors are locked and you just appear and you're like, peace be with you. It's the best thing that you could say. Um, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. And uh, we're going to get into Acts 8 and, and, and a few more verses. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning for your presence. That it's not just assumed that you're here this morning, Jesus, but that we can experience you. I pray, Father, that your, your presence will be felt by every heart and every soul in this place, Lord Jesus. We know that you're alive. We know that you're real. We know that you've been raised from the dead. And we know that you speak to your church. 
So we just humble ourselves here this morning, Jesus. It's not about us, God. It's about you. It's about what you've done for us on the cross. It's about how you're speaking to us. It's about how your spirit is moving us and guiding us and leading us every day of our lives. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning. We submit ourselves to your word. And we thank you that you are present with us, speaking to us in every moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've probably heard of uh, Helen Keller. Uh, She was a famous political activist and an author who was also deaf-blind, which is a term to means that she was both deaf, deaf and blind, either partially or completely. And uh, she overcame these incredible odds, not being able to see, not being able to hear, but yet becoming an author. Can you imagine? Uh, how do you learn if you can't read or if you can't see or if you can't hear properly? And, uh, and she became this author and a political activist. And she had this quote that I came across as I was preparing And I wanted to share it with you this morning. Helen Keller said this. She said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. The best and most beautiful things in the world can't be seen or touched. They're not necessarily physical things, but they are things that we have to feel with the heart. Now, a few years ago here in South Africa, a company uh, came over and opened up their first couple of stores um, in some of the malls around Joburg. And this is a company called Cinnabon. Any of you ever heard of Cinnabon? All right. If you haven't, you, you're going you're gonna to hear about it today. And, 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 and I bet that you're going to be inspired to go out and pick up your, your very first Cinnabon. But uh, when Cinnabon opened for the first time, my wife was in the mall. And uh, there's this thing, if you get anywhere within like 300 meters of a Cinnabon, it's like you're trapped. That's it. It's done. You're buying one, you know, because of the smell that emanates from, you know, the warm dough and the sugar and the combination of that and some caramel and and whatever else is draped. And some of you haven't had breakfast and you're just salivating right now. Just quickly, just wipe it away. Um, You know, and, and, uh, and you get that smell and you're just like, you're just locked on. You just go straight there and you're like, I'll have a box of whatever smells like that. All right. And that's what happened to my wife. I think she was still down in the basement parking, and she was like, what is that smell? And uh, she walked all the way up there, and she got a Cinnabon, and she ordered one, and she had it, and then she ordered a box, and she was going to bring me some. But before she got home, they were all gone. All right, this is a true story. This actually happened. There were, no, there wasn't. All right, so... So my wife came home and she's trying to describe to me. She's like, oh my word, I had the best thing today. It's called a Cinnabon. And she's trying to describe it. So she says, it's, it's like, it's warm and it's, it's, it's kind of like dough with sugar and cinnamon. And I'm like, so it's kind of like a warm donut. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not, not quite like a warm donut. And she says, it's got like, it's got caramel sauce on it. And the, and the dough is, is soft, but, but, but it's got the, the sugar that's melted and it's just, and, and I'm like, okay, so it's kind of like a pastry. It's like a rolled pastry. And she's like, no, 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 you, you still don't get it. And, and, and she was just frustrated trying to explain to me what a Cinnabon tastes like. And eventually she said what, what we've probably had many people say to us before, which is you've just got to try it. You just actually got to go and you got to try a Cinnabon. You got to go and eat it. And so she started spreading the gospel of Cinnabon. And, um, and many things in life are like this. They're, they're, undes- they're indescribable. It's, it, there are things in life that we can try our best with our words to tell people what it's like, but ultimately, certain things are just beyond our words. Our words fall short in fully explaining and expressing how incredible some things are. And in preparing this message, I was thinking about uh, or imagining what it would be like to try and explain to somebody who is blind what it looks like when the sun sets over the ocean. I mean, we take that for granted because we've all seen that. We've all seen the sun setting over the ocean on holiday. We've all seen the beauty. We've all seen the waves crashing against the rocks. We've all seen the hues and the different colors in the sky. And and, and we go, wow, it's incredible. But can you imagine trying to explain that to somebody who has never seen it, what that looks like? Ultimately, our words would fall short. Imagine trying to explain to somebody who's never left Joburg what the stars look like what the Milky Way looks like. Because in Joburg, you just see a star. You're like, is that it? And then you get out into the bush and you're like, oh my goodness, there is a whole universe out there. I never knew about it. I've been in Joburg for too long. And you can just marvel um, at the beauty of it. What it's like to visit a beautiful place. Last year, I went up to Zambia 
and with some of my friends that are missionaries out in Zambia, we traveled about six hours up from Livingston to the western part of Zambia to an area called Sioma. And there is nothing in Sioma. I don't even know how it got a name because there is nothing there. There's not even a sign. There's a road that travels through it, and the rest is is just trees and, and bush. And then you've got the great Zambezi that runs through there. But this is the upper area, the upper regions of the Zambezi River, which is where this river is just incredibly wide, incredibly powerful. I stood on the banks there and just watched the water flowing through there. Uh, Very deep, very wide, very powerful river. Millions of liters of water passing by every second. And, And myself and my friend and a couple of other missionaries out there in western Zambia, we camped with no electricity, no water. We got water from a borehole nearby that we then um, bleached with jick in order to make it drinkable. And, uh, and I said to them, you know, is, is, it, is it not going to taste like jick? And they said, yeah, uh, but it's better than hepatitis. So, um, so we, <laughs> you know, that's what we had. We, we slept out in these tents under, those, under those, those skies next to this raging river. And uh, I came home and I tried to explain to my wife that it's, it's just incredible, but, but I, just, I could feel uh, how inadequate my words were trying to explain that. So some things are, are just indescribable. And having a relationship with God can be a little bit like this. Because you can talk about the love of God. We can talk about that. We can talk about the grace of God. We can talk about the presence of God. But you don't really know those things until you've experienced them. You don't really know the love of God or know the grace of God or know the presence of God until you've experienced them. And it doesn't matter how many books you've read on the love of God. It doesn't matter how much you've studied out the doctrine of God's grace or heard testimonies of His presence. You don't really know it until you've experienced it. Oh, I I know about Cinnabon. It's that... uh, that doughy kind of thing, warm dough, it's kind of rolled up and it's got sugar and then you put some cinnamon and it's got, isn't caramel or whatever they put on there? And it's like, have you had one? No, 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 but I've heard about it in Fresno. No, have you had one? No, I haven't. Then you don't know Cinnabon. Don't talk about Cinnabon like you know Cinnabon because if you haven't had a Cinnabon, you don't know Cinnabon, right? You got to taste it to know what it's like. And people talk about the love of God. Oh man, I'm so hungry right now. I was probably hungry when I was preparing this message. That's the problem. (laughs) But we talk about the love of God. And we talk about the grace of God as if we know it. But sometimes we haven't even experienced it for ourselves. And so we can be quick to diminish it. We can be quick to dismiss it. But a relationship with God is more than just a theoretical knowledge. It's more than just, oh, I, I, I've heard about God. I've heard about His existence. I've heard the argument for how He created the, wor- the world. I've heard the argument for what His Son did uh, for us on the cross. But believing in God and having a relationship with God is more than just a cold belief in some philosophy or theory. It's more. It's something that must be experienced. People have asked me so many times, but how do you know? If you've been a Christian for a while, people go, but how do you know that God is real? And I can give them the historical facts. We can go through the scientific arguments. We looked at some of those on, on Wednesday night in This I Believe. Uh, we can go through the, you know, all the, the ontological reasonings and, and all the things that, that point towards the existence of God and, and, uh, and the historical facts of Jesus and the resurrection. But how do you really know that God exists and is real today? And the best way that, can I, that I can describe it is that I just know. There is an assurance on the inside because I have experienced Him. I have felt His love. I have felt the reality. And, and I know it so truly. It's as if I had seen Him physically before me. And, and, and I would be willing to lay my life down for that reality. I would not be here building church and, 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 and discipling people and giving my life to share the good news if this was something I thought was a good opinion or a good philosophy. The reason why we give our lives to the gospel is because we know. We know. Gut level, eye to eye. Like when you you can know somebody, you can know some things about somebody, but then if you've been married for a few years or you stand before your wife, people that have been married for years and years and years, and you you can't explain it all, but you know them. There's 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 an eye to eye kind of, I know this person. 
I know what they're like. I know who they are. And that's what it's like to really know God. There's an inner assurance. He speaks to us. We can experience His voice in our lives, His guidance. It's like when you know something deep in your soul and nobody can convince you otherwise. You just have to experience it. You just have to experience it. On Wednesday night in our This I Believe course, we looked at the Apostles' Creed. When a, the uh, believers in the first century, first and second century sat down and they said, what do we believe from Scripture? What, what is the, the, the basic structure of our faith? What do we believe? And they, they came up with a creed which have, has been repeated and, and said for centuries in the church and has held up theologically for all of these years. It's 2,000 years and it's just held up. And the words of the Apostles' Creed starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe. And we looked at what that term, I believe, actually means. Because when this was written in the Greek, the term that is translated I believe in is something more than just having a belief about something. This is more than just having an opinion. Just like you can believe in the roller coaster at Gold Reef City. How many of you believe there's a roller coaster at Gold Reef City? But believing that there is a, a roller coaster at Gold Reef City doesn't mean that you necessarily get into it, right? You believe in the roller coaster. It's there, it's real. But the belief that we find here in the Apostles' Creed is more than that. If you went to Gold Reef City and, uh, and perhaps you stood there and, and I believe they've done some good maintenance on that roller coaster, but let's say um, they hadn't and there were some rusted bolts and you stood there, you could look at this roller coaster and go, okay, well, I believe it's here. I can see it's here. I can hear its noise. I, I believe it exists, but I see these rusted bolts and so I'm not going to get on it. I'm not going to trust it. And that's the difference between I believe in, and this term here, which actually means I believe into God. I believe into God, the Father Almighty. That into actually means I trust Him. So that means more than just, oh, I believe there's a roller coaster. It means I'm riding this roller coaster. I'm getting into this roller coaster. I'm trusting this roller coaster. And when we say we believe in God, when we experience God, we move beyond just having some thoughts about God and some knowledge about God, but we actually give our lives to it. We trust Him. We sang it in that song this morning. We find our lives when we lay it down. We go, God, I, 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 I believe into You. I, I want a relationship with You. I want to know You. What You're doing in my heart is so real and so tangible and so true. I give myself to You wholeheartedly. And that produces a, a new kind of living for us. When you fall into the arms of God, when you give yourself and you enter into this committed relationship with God, it's not something that you, that you just believe, but it's something that you live out. You live your daily life in relation to that trust. Every day, you walk in that relationship with God. Because it's real. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's every moment. People say that they believe in God. But many of them live every day as if he doesn't exist. Oh yeah, I believe in God. And I, and I talk to people about God a lot. And people will say, oh, I believe there's a God. That's one thing. It's a completely different thing to say, and I live every day with him. And I walk every day with him. And I share every moment with him. A lot of people talk about putting God first. And they say, well, you've got to put God first. That means go to church on Sundays. That means make sure that you uh, pray in the morning. That means, and, and, and they have a list of things that putting God first means. But I believe that in putting God first, we sometimes miss the life that God wants for us. Because it's like a duty. Okay, did my prayer, tick. Now I can go on living without God. See, God doesn't want to be at the top of our list. He wants to be in the middle of our list. He wants to be in the middle of everything that we do. So it's not God and then my family. It's not God and then my career. It's not God and then the rest of my life. It's God in my family. God in the middle of my life. God in my marriage. God in my parenting. God in my career. God in the middle of everything I do because He's real to me. 
I live my life with Him on a daily basis. A while back, I was sitting in a staff devotion at a church um, in, in Seattle called the City Church. And uh, the pastor there, Judah Smith, was sharing in this staff devotion. And he just started talking about the love of God. And as he spoke about how God loves us, he started to cry, but ugly cry. And it's never great when you ugly cry in front of your staff, right? And he just started to ugly cry in front of the staff, just so overwhelmed by the love that God has for him. It was such a reality to him. And he started to cry, and I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't know these people. You don't know these people. And I started to cry. I couldn't help myself. And it wasn't because it was an emotional moment. It was because I knew the love that he was talking about. I had experienced it in my life. I had felt it in the most desperate moments in my own life. I'd come to know that love. And so when he was talking about it, I was like, I know what you're talking about, man. I know. I wanted to hug him, but it it would have just taken it to the next level. So, But when I talk about the love of God, or when I think about the love of God, it's not a theoretical thing for me. It's not a biblical doctrine, oh, God is a God of love. No, it's something I've experienced in my life. And that's the position that I talk from. That's why I share, because I've experienced, I know this love. It's a real thing. John says this in the book of 1 John. I don't have the scripture up, but he says, I have come to know and to believe. To know, I have come to know and to believe, believe into, trust the love, the great love, he calls it that God has for me. My prayer is for every single one of us here today that we would come to not just theoretically know about a God that exists somewhere in the universe, but that we will all come to know and to believe His great love as a church and share that great love. As Paul says, my, my only desire is to become more intimately acquainted with the wonders of the person of Jesus. That's what I want in my life. I want to know God more and more and more and more. So God wants us to experience him in this way. That's why he comes to Thomas, one of these disciples who's just struggling to believe. And he says, Thomas, if you're, if you're struggling to believe, put your, put your finger in here. Feel the holes in my hand where I died for you. Put your hand in my side and, and, and don't disbelieve, but trust me. Trust me, I am real, I am, I am alive. And when Jesus was leaving this earth physically, he spoke to his disciples and they were worried about this. They said, Jesus, how are we gonna experience you? How are we gonna talk about your, you know, how real you are? How are we gonna converse with you? How are we still gonna be able to have a relationship with you if you're no longer here physically? And Jesus' answer was, don't worry, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not just going to start all this stuff and and speak to you and and, and bring you into a new life and then abandon you. He says, I'm going to send you another helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And he will remind you of everything that I've said. He will, will, will lead you into all truth. He will guide you. He will help you. And this is why God poured out his spirit that we already read about in, in Acts chapter number two, where God poured out his spirit. So that God wouldn't just be something that we've read about in a book. That what we know about God today wouldn't just be, oh, we have a Bible and we've read that Bible. But God gave us His Spirit so that we can experience Him. And that that experience can be as real today as what the disciples experienced when they stood face to face with Jesus all those years ago. We can experience God. You can experience God. His spirit has been poured out into our lives. Romans 5.5 says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How do we know God's love? How do we experience God's love? How does God's love become tangible to us? Well, it's been poured out. For me, that just speaks of abundance. It's, It's an overwhelming abundance of love. The love of God that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is God. God is a trinity and it's His Spirit and His Spirit is speaking to our spirit. His Spirit is pouring out the love of God and making Him known to us so that we can know God more than just through inference or or as, as, as a theory. 
In Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's that inner knowledge I was talking about, that inner assurance. How do we know that we're children of God? God's Spirit is, is, is bearing witness with us in our spirits and telling us, you are a child of God. The Spirit is working in you to convince you, you are loved. You are accepted. You are forgiven. You've been justified by the blood of Jesus. You are called. You are holy in the eyes of God. God's Spirit is, is speaking to us, bearing witness with, with what the cross has accomplished in our lives. So in the book of Acts, as we've gone through it now up to chapter 8, and even as we, as we go ahead, um, we're constantly shown how the Holy Spirit is the power by which people are able to know God. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing and speaking and inviting people into a relationship with God. He's always present to heal and to deliver and to change them. Some of you have been trying to change for years and you're going, I just, I can't do it. And you're right, you can't. I can't either. It's only through the presence of God's Spirit that we're able to change, that we're able to, to, to become the people God's called us to be. And the Holy Spirit empowers the people in the book of Acts, as we've seen, to do what God has called them to do. So here in Acts 8, the, the, the text that we're looking at today, we see that Philip goes to preach in Samaria. And it says that they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. I want to talk a little bit just about the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how He allows us to experience God in this real and this tangible way, pours out the love of God. And here we see the first work of the Holy Spirit, which is to convict the world of sin. The Bible says the, 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 the Spirit is in the world, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But through that, inspiring us to put our trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit shows us ourselves shows us how no matter how we lie to ourselves we're actually sinful broken people no matter how we want to deceive ourselves and others the holy spirit uh, shines a light on our souls and goes actually you need jesus and then the spirit gives us that ability gives us that that faith to say okay i trust jesus makes jesus real to us so that we can so that we can choose him and so the holy spirit through that process, also then applies what Jesus did on the cross into our lives. Causes us to become a new person, regenerates us. In Romans 8, 11, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has raised you as well by the grace of God giving us a new life. So Christianity is not about changing your current life and, and improving it a little bit. It's not about becoming a little bit of a better person. Christianity is about receiving a new life, a brand new one from Jesus through the Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so every single person that puts their faith in Jesus has experienced fellowship with the Holy Spirit and has the Holy Spirit in their lives. But we also see something here in Acts chapter number 8, um, which points towards a second experience. That there's conversion, there's putting your faith in Jesus, there's putting your trust in Jesus. But we see in, in Acts 8, 14 and 15, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So this points towards a second experience that, that we uh, receive faith, we receive the Spirit, but that God also then pours out His Spirit and fills us with His Spirit, even as He did on the apostles and the, and, and the disciples um, that were around on the day of Pentecost. This is often known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there are two different camps, essentially, in how people believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive the fullness of God's Spirit, that there's no second experience um, to, be, to be experienced after that. There's no uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit separate to what you receive at conversion. And they look at, at these stories like in Acts chapter number 8, where these people clearly believed, they clearly were baptized, 
And then Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit. They look at these stories and they go, well, that was just that once-off case. That wasn't normative or that wasn't a precedent for how it must always happen. But even many of the reformers who have been more conservative on this kind of stuff believed in a second experience. Guys like A.J. Gordon and Reuben A. Torrey, Dwight L. Moody, Charles Finney, all of these believed that there was a second experience. So what I wanted to do today, just in order to give you, I want our church to be informed. I want our church to have the scriptures. And I want to let you know that in my own life, um, I was raised believing in a second experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what I've believed all my life, but I was completely willing to abandon it if I didn't find it in scripture. And I, I can assure you that when I share with you, whatever I share here on a Sunday, I always do my best to make sure that what I'm getting is not just from my, my history or my, heri my, uh, you know, my uh, heritage, but it's actually from Scripture. I was at a place in my life a few years ago where I scrapped everything that I knew, and I said, all right, let's go, and I reread the Bible, and, uh, and, I, and I only wanted to preach and teach and share what I actually found in Scripture, not just what came to me through religious tradition. So let's take a quick look. We're going to run through this quickly at what happened when people received the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Number one, at Pentecost. We see in Acts 2 verse 4, it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So at the day of Pentecost, the people were speaking in tongues, and the Bible says they were praising God, His mighty works, and, and there was a power to witness. They went out and they started sharing the gospel, and, and that day, uh, 3,000 people got saved. So there was a speaking in tongues there, uh, a praising of God, and a power to witness. Number two, in Samaria, this case that we're looking at now, Acts chapter number 8. It says in Acts 8 verse 18, when Simon, who was um, previously a sorcerer, who also got saved on that day, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mention what Simon saw, but as you can clearly see there, he saw something. And it was powerful enough for Simon to say, I want that power. Now, this is a guy who the Bible tells us was a sorcerer before and did many tricks and many magic things, and people were amazed by what he did. But what he saw happen when the, when the apostles laid their hands on the people was so powerful. He said, that's a power I've never had. Can I buy it? And he got a, a fairly stern, some stern words from, from Peter in response. But, but the point is, is that he saw something. So something tangible happened there. It wasn't just the theoretical, I've prayed for you, you have the Holy Spirit, good, let's go. It wasn't theoretical. There's an experience. That's what we're talking about. There's an experience of God, an experience of the Spirit. Number three, in, in Caesarea, at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile believer. In fact, we're going to be looking at that, I think, in the week coming up. Acts 10, verse 44 says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the receiving of the Holy Spirit is described in many different ways like this in the book of Acts, that he fell upon them, that he was poured out, uh, that, he was, uh, that, that they were baptized in the Spirit, many different terms. They fell upon them who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles? For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Again, that ability to, to speak in a tongue and to worship God. Then Peter declared, can anybody withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So here we see that in Caesarea, they were also speaking in tongues and praising God. In Ephesus, in Acts 19, we find Paul is uh, traveling through the upper regions of Ephesus. And it says uh, in 19 verse 1, it says, when Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So it would be a strange question for Paul to ask if there was only one experience. It would be a strange question for Paul to go, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Have you had this second experience of the Holy Spirit? In verse 5, it tells us what happened. It says, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, which means into water. 
And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So when he laid his hands on them, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Number five is Paul's conversion. We know that Paul was then known as Saul. And uh, when Saul received the Holy Spirit, uh, after he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and, uh, and hands were laid on him by Ananias, and, uh, and, and after Ananias prayed for him, the Bible tells us that something like scales fell off of his eyes, he was able to see, and the very next day he was out sharing the gospel. So it doesn't tell us uh, what Paul received in that moment, except that he, his eyes were opened. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18, Paul writes about himself and he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And later in his letter to Corinth, um, also in 1 Corinthians 14, 6, Paul says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say they are out of their minds? And so Paul here is talking about what's the right context for us to, to pray in tongues um, and, and, and to, to speak in tongues. And he goes, if the whole church is speaking in tongues, then people will walk in and go, this is madness. But what you need to pick up here is the whole church is speaking in tongues. Not if some people are, are sharing in a tongue, but if the whole church is speaking in tongues. And so what I want to say to you, and I want to approach this with a lot of humility. I don't know everything, and, and I'm, I'm not the ultimate expert on Scripture. But what I do want to tell you is that even though a lot of churches don't agree on what the exact experience is that accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I personally believe, just through these Scriptures that I've shown you this morning, that through the book of Acts and the epistles, that there is a very strong case for tongues being the evidence of, being, of it receiving that second experience, that, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, just through Scripture. And this is important that we understand because a lot of people will immediately go to 1 Corinthians 12 and say, well, tongues is a gift for some, and not all people have, have got that. And the gift of tongues, I believe, is something different. The gift of tongues is when God gives a message to the church and we should pray that somebody interprets so that we can understand it's equal to prophecy, the Bible says in that sense. Um, but praying in tongues is something the Bible actually encourages us to do often, to pray in the Spirit. Paul says he does it. He prays in the Spirit. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 to 15, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also, uh, but I will sing with my mind also. And so he says he has two kinds of things that he does. He prays in the spirit, but he also prays with his mind. And personally, that's what I do. I'll pray and I'll, whatever I think of to pray, I'll pray that out in, in language. And then I'll just spend time just speaking in tongues and praying to God. So I believe it's, it's not just the gift, but it's something that builds me up personally. In Jude 1 verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Build yourselves up. The gift of prophecy is for the edification of the church. The gift of tongues is for the edification of the church. But by praying in the Spirit, we can build up our own faith. So from what I see in Acts chapter 8, there are three different experiences that we go through as Christians. The first one is faith in Jesus and salvation. The second one is baptism in water. They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And for those of you that haven't been baptized in water yet, we have got some, some really cool stuff planned. Uh, we're actually going to have, uh, on a Sunday after church, we're going to have a massive braai, and we're going to have a baptism party. It's kind of like a pool party, but people get baptized, all right? And we're going to do that, and people are going to be baptized because it's a declaration. It's a, such a moment to, to declare your faith. So baptism in water, and then baptism in the Holy Spirit. In every case in Acts, regardless of whether you believe in tongues or you don't, in every case in Acts, every time the Holy Spirit comes into somebody's life, there are some definite effects. You can't have an undercover Holy Spirit in your life. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, your life is going to change somewhat. Things are going to be affected and you're not even going to know where it's coming from, but it's the presence of God in your life. There is an evidence of God's presence, of His, of His indwelling Spirit. Real quickly to end this morning, 
I want to look at what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? What are some of the main things that He does? And as I mentioned before, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is that He empowers us to have faith in Jesus. He does this by making Jesus real to us, making Jesus tangible to us. Through God's Spirit, He is present and He, and he comes before you. And, and even David in the Old Testament says, I continually see the Lord before me. God was there through His Spirit. And when we stand here and worship on a Sunday morning, the reason why we stand and worship is not because it's tradition for us to sing songs so that we can feel like as if we're in unity, as if it's some war cry before a rugby match. The reason why we sing is because we believe God is here. And we want to worship Him. We want to express His, His goodness and we want, to, we want to connect with Him. So the Holy Spirit makes Jesus tangible to us. And, and that's why we can have a relationship with God where there's some real communion, real fellowship, real connection. It's not a theoretical thing. You can go today and driving home in your car, you can talk to Jesus and you can hear His voice and you can experience Him in your life. Daily, every moment of every day. So we can experience Him in a tangible way and we can hear Him speak to us. Number two is worship. When the Holy Spirit is in our lives, our response, being in the presence of God, experiencing His reality, will be to worship Him. Naturally, not a forced thing, not a you better do this, but a, but a natural response to the gospel. Whenever we see people in the book of Acts, um, respond to the gospel or experience the reality of God or, or respond to the falling of the Holy Spirit. That response is worshipful. Like we saw so many times, even in those scriptures that I just read, the people are, are speaking in tongues and they're glorifying God. They're speaking about the greatness of God. They're speaking about the goodness of God. And that's what happens in our lives when we experience God's presence. When you really experience it, it's, uh, it's, you experience that complete acceptance of God, that, that love of God, that peace that floods your soul, that joy that comes into your life. It's like a child being embraced by his father. And the only natural response that we have is to go, God, thank you so much. I love you so much. You're such a great God. We express worship. So when the Spirit is in our lives, we will lead lives that are worshipful as a lifestyle, not just the Sunday morning moments, but our whole lives will, will express worship. How we live every day, how we, how we run our family, how we build our career, how we handle our finances, it will all be worship. Number three is miracles. The Bible says that God confirmed His Word with signs and wonders, and we've already read it this morning we saw it again in Acts 8 that God was doing miracles. People were being healed. People were being set free. We saw through the life of Stephen that God did great miracles by his hand. And Stephen wasn't even one of the, the apostles. Some people say only the apostles could, could be used by God for miracles. But Stephen was the guy waiting tables and God did mighty miracles through his life. Throughout the Bible, in fact, miracles are, are, are very normal to a communi this community of faith. And that word sign is short for signature. And the Bible says God confirmed His Word with signs. So it's like if I have written something out and I approve of everything that was said, and, and, and these are my words, I would add my signature to the end, and that authenticates it. That says, this is really me. And that's what God would do. As, as He speaks to us in our lives, oftentimes He will authenticate and verify His power and His presence through miraculous things happening in our lives. Now, there are Christians that deny that miracles still happen today. But if you deny miracles, you have to deny creation. Because God spoke supernaturally this universe into being. And so all of life is a miracle. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but then we struggle to believe that He can heal somebody who's got a cold or a headache. Come on, it's all a miracle. And so in your life, if God is present, you will see God do miraculous things. And we can trust Him for those things. You will see God change circumstances that you thought could never change. Provide for you in ways that you never thought He could provide. Touch your life and, and deliver you from things that you've been struggling with for years. God can do those things. Now I want to say that there's no formula for this. Because some people want to turn it into a formula. So they go, okay, there's 10 steps to receiving a miracle. 
And once you've completed step 10 perfectly, you should have your miracle. If you haven't, you messed up somewhere, go back to step one and try again. And if you listen to some preachers on TV, especially, they'll tell you that if you give $1,000 in the next 20 minutes, then in the next 48 hours, you will receive your miracle. And can I just say that's hogwash? That's rubbish? You don't buy miracles. Simon tried to do it in Acts 8, and he got into a lot of trouble. You can go read it later. We don't buy miracles from God. God doesn't work that way. We trust Him, and we ask Him boldly, and then He answers us according to His will. But He does miraculous things. Then we have, number four, personal change. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, if the Spirit of God is present in our lives, it's for a specific purpose. And this is where I'm so grateful for God's presence in my life. Because what he does is that he helps me to become more like Jesus. He helps me to walk and to grow in my new identity in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it tells us this. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. If we just look at Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image, into that image and likeness of Christ from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we put our faith in Jesus and what He did in the, on the cross and we look at Him and we, and we steadfastly keep our faith in Jesus, what's happening without you knowing, the Holy Spirit's busy working. The Holy Spirit's busy working. The Holy Spirit's busy working. And from glory to glory to glory to glory, you are becoming more like Jesus. More loving, more humble, more kind, more patient. It's by the grace of God. And the presence of Jesus. And that's one sure way to know whether God is present in your life. Are you changing? Are you experiencing personal change? The fifth and final one this morning is evangelism. Because God empowers us with His Spirit so that we can become a part of His mission. There's a reason why Jesus chose us. There's a reason why Jesus is, is working in our lives. And the best advert for Christianity and for the reality of Christ is lives that are changed. I don't know how many of you have met somebody recently. We have somebody in our church who, who, who does this, and, uh, but they're not here this morning. But I would have mentioned them if they were. But, uh, but, but if you've ever met somebody who does Herbalife, signed up to Herbalife, right? So... You know, they'll be walking around and they'll be like, I lost 153 kilograms last week. I'm telling you, you have got to try this Herbalife thing. You've got to try this Herbalife. And they're so passionate about it because it's worked for them. And people see them and go, wow, you look great. And they go, it's Herbalife. It's Herbalife. Like, you're like, oh, no, I'm sorry I asked or mentioned anything. But, they, but they'll, they'll tell you, it's Herbalife, man. And the best advert for Herbalife is the skinny people. Who have lost all the weight, and we saw them before, and we know they weren't skinny, but now they are, and it's Herbalife. By the way, I don't work for Herbalife, just so that you know. <laughs> just so that you know. But, but it's the same when it comes to the gospel, is that the best advert for the presence of God and the reality of Jesus is, I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. And I, I've tried for years to change myself and couldn't, and then God came along, and through His grace and His Spirit, I am like this today. That's what the presence of God does. It changes us. Our lives begin to change. We become more loving and selfless and humble, and people see the evidence. And when we as a group, as a church, I've got to tell you that as a community here, if we truly love each other, which is what I believe the word fellowship means. Fellowship doesn't just mean hang out. It means care for each other. When we really care for each other, the world notices, but these people are different. That's why Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, if you love each other. But because we're selfish as people, it's only through the presence of God's Spirit that we can love and become this testimony and evangelize. And in every case in Acts, when people received the Spirit, they just wanted to go out and share the gospel of what God had done. So God's Spirit will cause us to reach out. And I want to encourage people here. We, we care about people. We want to love people. We want to look after people here at Anchor Church. And I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church, invite some friends. Allow people to come into the presence of God where they can experience His reality and where they can turn to Him and find the joy and the hope that we've all found. 
So I want to encourage you, bring people along, invite people to church. So God gave us his spirit so that we wouldn't just talk about God, but that we would know him every day, that we would experience him in our lives, and so that we can all enter into a deep and meaningful relationship with him. As a church, as Anchor Church or any other church, we desperately need God's spirit. We need God's spirit because without his presence, nobody in this place will be moved to trust God ever. Nobody will ever come to faith in Jesus without his spirit. We will only know God theoretically and we won't know him personally. Without God's uh, spirit in our church, we wouldn't be able to hear his voice and follow his guidance. We won't be able to change and become the people that God has created us to be. And ultimately, we won't be able to fulfill the mission that God has called us to. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's welcome the Spirit of God into this church. Let's revere and honor the presence of God in our church. And let's allow Him to move in our lives. Don't leave God here on a Sunday, even though you can't, even if you tried. But don't leave Him here in your mind and go, okay, well, God stays in preemie, and I can go meet Him there again next week. The food's good, but it's not that good, all right? God doesn't hang out here. He goes with you wherever you go. And when He goes with you, He's speaking to you. He's working in your heart. He's present with you. He's working all things together for good. He's doing miracles in your lives. That's the God that we serve. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and, and some of this stuff because the next part of the Apostles' Creed that we're on for this, I believe, is I believe in, in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about that this coming Wednesday night. If you want to know more about it, I want to really encourage you to come and join us for that. But for today, I want to tell you that we don't just know God theoretically. This is not just a, a philosophy or a religious thing that we picked up somewhere along the line. This is not a tradition. I would not be following this if this was a tradition. God is real. And His Spirit is active and powerful and moving on our behalf. Amen.